How's it going? Hello. How is everybody? Pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. How are we feeling? good. Can't complain. Feeling good? Yeah. It's yeah. late. It's late at night. It's, it's late. It's like, no, is it 10, 1020 right now? That's late for us. It's because yeah. this movie is really gosh darn long. Mm-hmm. You had to keep pausing it. I had to pause it twice. Mm. It's a it's lot two of times. more times than me and Becca. Yeah. I'm sorry. Some of us have jobs. We all have jobs. Yes, all of us. I have two jobs, so... Well, I have a job, but my primary job is being a husband. And oh, that's stop a it. full-time position. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Please don't um, ruin my life. I Maliciously. <laughs> Thank you. As long as you don't cheat on me. Deal. Okay, cool. Can we, okay, yeah, we're, we'll get into this. Um, <laughs> welcome, everybody, to uh, We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, episode... Eight? Eight? I think so. I don't know. Is it eight? I, I, need to, I really need eight. to keep track of this. I think it's eight, too. Because last week was seven, so this week How do you remember eight? that? <gasps> because last week that we thought so it was six, sense. but it was actually seven. Well, this week I thought it was seven. It's actually eight. Why can't I remember how many movies we've watched? You don't keep track? I need to keep track. Because I watch a million movies a week. A million a True. week. A million a week. That's a lot. Impressive. I know. I know. Um, for those of you out there who don't know us, which is probably a lot of you, hopefully. Hopefully it's not... If anyone else is listening right now. Hopefully it's not right just now. people that we know personally <laughs> listening. Um, I am... But we like you guys too. Yeah. Also also keep, keep listening. listening. Yeah. Um, my name is Andrew and I am the host of this year podcast. Mostly because I talk the most. And he's the one who wanted to start it, so. It's mm-hmm. true. Props to Andrew. Um, at my right hand, Becca. Hi. I'm the wife. She's the wife. <laughs> always will be. I was going to say always has, always will be, but. Just always will be. There were times where she wasn't. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> and at my left hand, Sid. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Good. Uh, today on this year podcast episode eight of we watch movies and then talk about them we will be discussing david fincher's gone girl it's the uh the first time that we're returning to a director we couldn't even make it 10 episodes without doing the same director twice that's true um as you all know he directed the social network the subject of was it like the fourth episode i thought it was a third was it third Whatever, we talked about Social Network, and he directed that one, too. And he's just a good director. Yeah, for sure. So, um, for the uninitiated, Gone Girl, this one came out in 2014. So, I'm going to say, at the front, full spoilers. I feel like that's still in the range that we should warn people that we're going to spoil this. So, again, the idea of the podcast is we just watched Gone Girl. As in, it's been over for a few minutes. Literally haven't spoken until now. And now we're going to talk about it. So, um, best way to do this is to go watch the movie and then enjoy our podcast afterwards. Because then you'll understand what we're talking about a lot better than if you haven't seen the movie. Correct. But for those of you who are too lazy or don't care, uh, Gone Girl is the story of... How? How do, you, how do you even explain <laughs> it? How do I do this? It's um, the story of a crazy woman. It's just a crazy story. It's and a, a story. 
crazy relationship. It's a story of a woman who uh, goes missing on this couple's fifth wedding anniversary. And we see the events unfold and our perspective changes throughout and we learn new things throughout. And it's a, I mean, David Fincher is kind of the king of thrillers, I think. I think that a lot of the best thrillers of the last, you know, 30 years or so have been directed by David Fincher. Um, For those of you who don't know, he directed... The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I've heard is great. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. I've heard it's great, though. I love Daniel Craig. Uh, He directed The Social Network, which, as we talked about, is basically just a courtroom drama. Um, He had a misstep with The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Not great. (laughs) But he did uh, Zodiac. He did Panic Room. did Fight Club. He did Seven. He did Aerosmith. Big ones you can look at. I wonder what that's talking about. (laughs) What's that? If anybody can let me know, what is the Aerosmith song "Big Ones You Can Look At" about? Because <laughs> David Fincher apparently directed the uh, the video for that. He's done a lot of music videos. He is also the brain and uh, director behind the fantastic, fantastic TV show Mindhunter. Oh, Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, me either. He created it. That makes me love him even more. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. It's great. It's so good. Um, It's about the formation of the behavioral science unit at the FBI. So if you're into serial killers, if you're into learning about them. Love serial killers. Yeah, they're great. Any serial killers out there. Well, I mean, they're not great. They're not great. I don't love them, but. (laughs) Like learning about how crazy they are. And they're not great, but they're interesting. And they pick some good ones on this show to discuss. So Mm -hmm. he's the mind behind Mindhunter. Um, I'm ready for. Yes. Apparently, season two comes out this year. Of Mindhunter? Yeah. When oh. is that? Episode two airs 2018. Who knows? I'm ready for it, though. I'm looking forward to Maybe it. Maybe that'll get you back into TV shows. Maybe. I'm having a hard time watching TV shows lately. I just rediscovered Criminal Minds, so mm. I'm back on the bandwagon That's for one of a those. I feel like that's one of those, like, I can't watch shows like that, especially like that, because that show's just never going to end. Oh, no. No, it probably should. But I still love it. Who's the wildly attractive detective in that one? What's his name? Matthew Gray Goobler. I don't know. <laughs> Is he the skinny one? What's no? What's the uh, hang on? Are you talking about Shamar Moore? Probably. They're both. What's his name in the beautiful. show? Beautiful Derek Morgan. <laughs> That's it. Oh yeah, I, Derek Morgan. But my heart lies with Spencer Reed. We had a uh, long period of our dating relationship where basically all we watched is Criminal Minds. It's true. And Every I think night. I like to think that I can credit Derek Morgan with our with our marriage because I think Can that <laughs> our bonding over how attractive he is That's really fair. put us on I a good really path bond lots of people yeah so that's beautiful you should have invited Morgan. him to the wedding I did mm. he couldn't come he's busy <laughs> on his 18th season of criminal minds how many seasons is it hang <laughs> I on I think it's 13 is it over no it's still going even though they've lost, like, half of the original cast. What do they talk about anymore? Like, how do they... Murder. Well, sure. But, like... <laughs> wasn't Is that the one... There's an episode where, like, they show up at a motel, and there's, like, people who are, like, skinned and hung up to look like angels. Is that an episode of Criminal Minds? What show is that? I don't I have think no so. idea. Or is that something on HBO? 
That seems very like HBO. HBO. It seems like a HBO little show. too crazy. If for you can, CBS. if you, if anybody out there knows, there's a show where I'm, I'm remembering this because it freaked me out. But they show up at a motel and there's like people who are hanging from the ceiling and their their backs are skinned and like formed into wings. It's really this disturbing. Is creepy. Should we get back to Gone Girl? Yeah, we Probably. watched Gone Girl. <laughs> <laughs> we did watch Gone Girl. That was good too. Um, Gone Girl was better than the episode of tv that i just talked about that i don't know much better yeah it's probably an hbo show um you thought hang on i just realized who matthew gray goobler is you thought that he was the one i was talking about i automatically assume that if you're saying the attractive one i automatically assume it's matthew gray goobler because i love him are you serious yeah this dude looks like he's on meth i love a scrawny tired looking boy yeah, he looks like he hasn't slept in years. That's what I love. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, Kay, he's good on the show. all you scrawny, tired-looking boys. <laughs> if you don't sleep for a week, Sid will go out with you. Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Gone Girl is by David Fincher, stars Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry, Carrie Coon, Kim Dickens, really just a lot of, a lot of people. Um, and Emily Ratajkowski. I don't know how to say her last name. No one does. Seems Polish. She plays a fantastic role as well. Does she? I mean, what little she's in the movie is pretty good. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, let's see. Let's talk about Gone Girl, though. Um, I got some notes. Seems like you guys got some notes. Mm -hmm. Um, what do we got? Becca, start us off with some hot takes. Well, I don't even know where to start. I wish everybody could have seen us as soon as the movie ended. Because we all just kind of sat there and looked at each other and had nothing to say. Now, just to clarify, how many times has everybody seen this now? One. This is my second time. I think I've seen it probably four or five times. Jeez. So, and I was a little nervous going into it because it was my second time. I was worried that I wouldn't like it as much as the first time because I felt like the twist was so dramatic. Which twist? (laughs) (laughs) All of them. (laughs) But like, I just was like on the edge of my seat the entire time I was watching it the first time. And that was the same for the second time too. Even though I knew everything that was coming, I was so excited to see it all play out. So I think that my hot take, like the best part of this movie is Rosamund Pike. Like, hands down, she is amazing in this movie. And I don't know what it is. I guess it's probably just a mix between her like amazing acting ability and like makeup. But like she just like commands attention and like even just like on the screen, like I would not want to mess with her or be in the same room as her because she's so terrifyingly perfect that like (laughs) i just i don't even know it made this movie work so well because she played her role so well so i think that would be my first main hot take is that rosamund pike and amy's character is just incredible and makes this movie awesome said what what's um hot take Um, so I came into this with some pretty high expectations. I mean, like I said, I love murder. 
Um, I don't love the actual, like, killing of someone, but I think it's fascinating. And I love movies. So I was really excited for the mixing of the two things that I love most. <laughs> the two things you love most in the world are in murder the entire and movies. World. Murder number one, movies two. Wow. What no. about string cheese? I love string cheese. Okay, wait. She less, you love you love string cheese less than you love murder. I gotta reevaluate. Mac this. and cheese. Oh no. See, I know you. Grilled cheese. <laughs> How many types Guys. of cheese can we throw out here? So much. Nachos. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of nachos. Who doesn't like nachos? It takes a special kind of cheese for That me. moment at Olive Garden where they say, tell me when, and you just don't. <laughs> just stare at them till their arms just get too going. tired. Keep going. Anyway, back to the movie. Um, yeah, so I came in with some pretty high expectations. Um, I honestly was like a little disappointed for, through the first hour. I just, I thought it was more, it just felt a lot more cut and dry. Like, okay, I knew the big spoiler from the beginning. I figured it out, or I heard about it a while ago. So, yeah, I was just a little disappointed with the format of it. And then, but then once you get halfway through, and it just gets so crazy, it's just so good. And it's, it's just so fascinating and interesting, and you can't expect anything throughout the whole movie. And, yeah, I mean, there were a few things that I didn't love about it, but um, I could talk about that later. But overall, I thought it was so good. So, so good. It's uh, The movie is almost like a flower that blooms, I feel like. Goes you, really, really slow. And yeah, you get, this view, you get this view of what you think it is. And then all of a sudden it blooms and it's got, like, octagonal yellow polka dots or something like that. <laughs> Just weird, you know what I mean? Or just like a box cutter in blood. <laughs> and thus the spoiling begins. Just right at the center. <laughs> just a box cutter. <laughs> um, yeah, so my hot take on this one. I really like this movie. I love it. I love David Fincher. I think that he's an extremely talented director. And like I said, he's he's the master of the thriller, I think. I think that there are very few people that do thrillers better than he does. Um and it's it's hard for me to pick a favorite performance. I do want to talk about that. That's one of the notes that I wrote down is that I want to kind of run through some of the performances and see what everybody's favorite was. I had such a hard time picking a favorite one. Like you said, Rosamund Pike, and she was amazing. Um, and the Academy actually agrees with you as far as that being the best part of this film because this film was nominated for a single Oscar, which was Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for Jeez. Rosamund Pike. I mean, great that they got that, but a shame because there's so many other great things about the show. I know. Are you guys ready for this? So, freaking The Imitation Game was nominated for Best Picture in this same year. And this was not. Nothing against The Imitation Game. Yeah, that's a little surprising. But it's not as good as this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Also, I mean... Brandersnatch was nominated for Best Actor from The Imitation Game. And again, nothing against him. He did a great job, but... Yeah. Wait, what'd you call him? Brandersnatch. It took me a second to figure <laughs> out who you were talking about. <laughs> uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. I call okay. him Brandersnatch because it's a, it's a funny name. I like, I like giving him funny names. Funnier than his birth-given name? Yeah. <laughs> um... 
But they did give lead actress this year or that year to Julianne Moore. And honestly, I can we just have Julianne Moore and Jodie Foster kind of switch off every year until they both die, and then we can have a new <laughs> Best Actress? <laughs> I mean, I'm being serious. I, I I don't know that there are many more consistent actresses out there. Let's kick Meryl Streep off. She's yeah. she's not allowed to be nominated anymore. Yeah, I think she might have reached her limit. Yeah. As soon as they nominated her for the post, I was like, all right, guys, you're just doing this to be nice. I thought as soon as they nominated her for Into the Woods, that was one of She was nominated for Into the Woods? Really? Gosh, what a trash movie. I hate that movie so much. I never much. saw it. Don't watch it's it. It's so bad. <laughs> Do not watch it. I don't know why I saw it. I had no interest in it. I saw it with some roommates, and afterwards they were like, oh my gosh, that was so good. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, man. Um... Okay, so there's a few things, there's several notes that I wrote down, and a lot of, like, lists and sub-lists, and... Did you tell us what your hot take was? My hot take is that I really like this movie. Oh, okay. Fair, yeah. I guess. Uh, the big thing, actually, my big hot take, and this shouldn't be surprising, um, but I put in all caps, uh, right towards the beginning of the movie, MUSIC. Can Trent Reznor score every movie? <laughs> <laughs> Can we just, like, lock him in a room and say just pump out movie scores you and you and um atticus ross just (laughs) just hang out guys and just pump out movie scores can you please just score every single movie (laughs) except for blade runner 2049 because that score is perfect i was listening to it this week and it's amazing (laughs) and there is our mention of blade runner for the day stay tuned for there will be blood sometime right Uh, it'll come up (laughs) Um, we should start a drinking game Every time. Every time Andrew mentions Blade Runner or There Will Be Blood. <laughs> um, no, but my hot take is uh, that, and this is a note that I wrote down, uh, that this is one of those movies that every time I watch it, I really just wish that I could watch it for the first time again. Yeah. Because that, I, the first time I saw it, I knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. I literally bought the Blu-ray on Amazon because that's a weird thing that I do. I buy movies before I see them if I think they're going to be good. And I had heard good things about it, so I just bought the Blu-ray off of Amazon and put it in and watched it. This is before we were married. Now I don't let him do that as often. Uh, as often. <laughs> That's right. Um, we'll actually talk about a movie later in the podcast that I bought before seeing it. Because <laughs> um, we watched it this week. Um, but it, that's just such a like such a moment when... You see her, and she's she's kind of chewing on the pen with the stork. Mm-hmm. And then it flips, and she's in her car, like, throwing pens out the window. Mm-hmm. You're like, you piece of crap. You non-podcast-friendly word. And, like, it just, it all hits you in a second, and you're just like, it, The it's like, it's like I said, it's like a flower blooming. Like, the movie instantly transforms. And I feel like this is a movie that requires patience to watch because you're right. The first hour, hour 25 is pretty standard fare. You're like, oh, he killed his wife and they're trying to make him look like the good guy, but it's going to turn out that he's the bad guy. Well, like what I thought, I knew that uh, she had framed him. I saw on some video a few years ago. And so the whole thing, I thought it was just going to be them trying to figure out where she is. And then at the end, you find out that she's alive and she framed him and I was you know I thought that was boring and disappointing but yeah when you find out halfway through that she's still alive 
then I was like, oh, okay, this is going a lot different than I thought, and I liked it. So that's one of the things that I wrote down is that it's, I put that it is an incredibly unique thriller, and mostly for the reason that, like, so for the first, like I said, hour, maybe not hour 25, like hour, hour 10, you don't know who the good guy is, right? Like, mm-hmm. but you they they set you up so well to think that Ben Affleck killed his wife, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that's going to be the reveal, and they're going to try and make him sympathetic and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, boom, she's a gosh darn psychopath. And then, like, in any other movie that had a little bit less patience or was made with a less deft hand, like, that would be the twist, right? Mm-hmm. is she's alive and she gets away but it's not but it's not this movie takes the time to let you live in that twist and kind of revel in it and then also just see it all fall apart mm-hmm. and that's so much more satisfying than if it was just oh she framed him mm-hmm. because like i don't even know what i'm saying here basically it it's I've never seen a movie do that before where the twist is like a third of the way through and then you get to see the fallout of the twist. Well, and it's so fitting with her character too, because as you learn about like Amy Dunn's character, she's kind of done this her whole life and it's just fitting to see when she gets caught in her framing of her husband that like she can get out of it because she knows how to Mm -hmm. and like, any woman who can take the time and so like perfectly frame her husband for her murder and get away with it can also do what she did and come back and make it all work out and i also thought that a lot of thrillers would have made the detective the main character yeah because she has a lot of qualities of a protagonist right like Mm -hmm. specifically i mean she's a strong female character which is a shoo-in for being a protagonist in a lot of ways but she she's just a brilliant detective she's a really 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 good detective yeah and she like waits and kind of like gives him the benefit of the doubt and like waits for the right moment so yeah i totally see what you're saying and i thought that was cool yeah also in the fact that um these are reasons why i thought it was a unique thriller that there's just a huge cast of characters here and each of them has a role to play, but it feels like real life. Like there's really organic connections between everybody. It doesn't feel like any character is just shoehorned into, you know, fill an archetype or whatever. It's like this, this feels like a community. Mm-hmm. And it, it, like I said, it feels like real life. And we do kind of follow a lot of these characters, you know, like it almost feels like there isn't one main character, even though Ben Affleck is like the main character. He kind of isn't. There's mm-hmm. a lot of others. Correct. I mean, it's just so well written too. Like, no, we can't we can't take a thing away from the writing. Like, yeah, David Fincher does a great job, but this this film's screenplay is just so good. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 comes in part from so it was based on a novel, and the novelist she actually wrote the screenplay, so she adapted her own novel uh-huh. to the screenplay. Wasn't this her first screenplay? I don't know. I think it is. Let's see. Uh, yeah. First screenplay. Jeez. 
that's pretty awesome. And just, I think it's that, like, I mean, it came from her head. It's that fundamental understanding of the source material mm-hmm. and all the nuances of it and the characters and everything like that that allowed her to adapt it so well. So props to uh, Gillian Flynn for writing an amazing screenplay. And I would assume a great book. Probably. Yeah. A lot of angles to it. Also, if she just came up with this idea out of the blue, she's freaking crazy. Yeah. Um, let's see. I do want to talk about the music again because I just keep coming back to that. I freaking, I just, I really do want Trent Reznor to score every movie. Trent Reznor and Johnny Greenwood. You guys can split the work up between <laughs> yourselves. If we need electronic, we go for Trent Reznor. If we need orchestral, we'll go to Johnny Greenwood. And then... I can just make sure that Nine Inch Nails and Radiohead win all the Oscars for the rest of forever. <laughs> you know what? I got to say, with the music, like, thinking back, I honestly can't remember the music. And I don't remember hearing any music. The only point but that I can <laughs> even remember noticing it was at the very end when uh, Ben Affleck's, you know, with his cat and just hanging out. So I think that's one of the strengths of this soundtrack, actually. And that, that's what I was going to say, is that I think that's a good thing, because... I still felt all the emotions I needed to feel, and I think the music probably did that, but I didn't realize that the music was doing that. So there were three moments that I wanted to point out that were um, my kind of moments that really stuck out to me, and I I thought were when the soundtrack was at its most effective, right? And I'll see if... I'm not going to describe the soundtrack to you. I'm going to tell you about the moment and see if you guys can remember what the the music was. So I'm quizzing you, (laughs) right? All right. So the first is when he opens the woodshed and sees all of his stuff in there. Okay. Do you remember at all how it sounded? I don't. That's fine. Nope. So he opens it up and it's as he's because he runs out of his backyard and into Margot's backyard and gets in the woodshed. As he's doing that, there's kind of just this drone underneath it, right? And then as he's running, it slowly becomes more intense and more layers get added. And then when he opens the woodshed, it's just like, and it's just this dissonant wall of noise that just like, it's so sinister though. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it, it helps sell that moment in his realization, that moment that his wife is gosh darn crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that was one really effective moment for me as far as the score goes, because it just, like it, it was almost like the, like I said, the score was super dissonant and a lot of layers on top of each other it almost felt like i was hearing what was going on in his head because you can imagine as he opens that up his mind just starts going a mile a minute as he's making connections and realizing things and you can feel how hectic that moment is even though he's just standing there looking at something mm-hmm. i do remember feeling those things and like feeling like it. i was in his mind yeah exactly that's what i think is like i don't remember the music at all but i think that's a good thing the uh, the second moment that stuck out to me was when she kills Desi. No? I don't remember Nada? the music. I no, so that's fine. Dumbfounded during that part. I all senses oh. were gone. So it's these like it's these just like stabbing sharp notes. It's like <laughs> like pulsing almost, and it's so cool. Um, and then the third one is close to the end but not quite the end um when they're like the first few scenes when they're home mm-hmm. or when she, after she comes home right and there's there's these when she um drives up in her car 
and gets out these kind of pretty swelling piano chords start playing and it's it's like a big relief and everything like that right that's the idea of the song i think is it's a it's a kind of theme of relief but then like right from that very start there's this single note that drones and it slowly gets louder over the course of like several minutes like all when they're talking in the hospital and after she comes back home again and like through when she shows him the pregnancy test and he slams her into the wall and like all of that whole thing and then it just like breaks and like that whole sequence just builds up so much tension but the whole time these chords are going on like over top of it it's just it's brilliant hmm. yeah i don't like remember this at all but i don't remember sounds brilliant <laughs> told you just wish i'd heard it I'm sure it's <laughs> great next it's time around yeah <laughs> i do have one small thing on Ooh. the music um Trivia said, "What? Go ahead." Um, so pretty much, just David Fincher um, told Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross um, about his experience when he went to a spa where the music's supposed to be like nice and calming, but he found it creepy and it made him uncomfortable. And he told him just to embody that, where it's just like kind of supposed to be relaxing music, but it just fills you with dread. So that was the other thing that I wrote down is that the music is incredibly eerie and it would fit very well in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Well, that like also perfectly sums up Amy Dunn's character is like she's so calming and like perfect on the outside, but it's just crazy, she's crazy. on the inside. So that's uh, perfect. She makes me terrified. I know. Woman. <sighs> What's Becca hiding? Right. Well, I'm not, like, a, a perfect wife, so are, I'm obviously not crazy. You are the perfect wife. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> um, so one other thing, one of the things that I, I, I noticed as well, um, as we're talking about the twist, and I, I, I was kind of looking for things that might signal it, and one thing more than anything else stuck out to me, because the twist comes as we kind of catch up with her diaries, right? Mm-hmm. We ha- we're reading her diary entries of of um, when life was good and all that kind of stuff. And it's so funny because the flashbacks are totally divorced from reality. Yeah. In the way that they speak to each other, in the way that they interact. Because like, even, even we see, you know, um, what's his name? Ben Affleck's character. What is his name? Nick. Nick. We see Nick talking to Margot and like you see his speech patterns and the way that he talks and like, yeah, he's a clever dude, but like they're doing like, it almost feels like the flashbacks were like written by Aaron Sorkin because they're like so quippy and back and forth. And like I said, it's like Gilmore Girls, but smart, right? (laughs) Like I think to that scene where um, she walks in on him and he's playing video games, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just being like so clever and cutting in the ways that they talk to each other. But it's like, that's not how they talk. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like that is an incredibly awesome hint that, like, these flashbacks are not reality. I actually noticed that this time around, too, and I put that in my notes, that the flashbacks are so unrealistic. Like, people don't act like that. And they are that way because they're not real. And because they're flashbacks of what was in her diary or whatever. And that only works because of the strength 
of like I said, the the movie feels like real life. Mm-hmm. And so when you see these flashbacks that don't feel like real life, you feel like something is off about them. And that's just in- incredible filmmaking. Yeah, I think that explains perfectly why I was so bothered by um, the scene where they first meet. I was just like, no one talks like this. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't feel natural or... So yeah, that explains perfectly why I, I really didn't like that scene. Yeah. You're not supposed to. It's not real. Yeah. Well, and again, I think this is also why I just, I don't know, I love Amy Dunn's character in this. I love Rosamund Pike. I know I already said that, but like, it's just a look into her mind. And because in her mind, like everything needs to be so perfect. And she's so good at acting like the perfect person and like manipulating everything around her to be exactly what she wants it to be. And so that's what her memories are. And that's what this diary is. And that's what all of this shows is that like, She's just so manipulative and like everything is in the perfect spot and works out exactly the way that she wants it to. And that's what the flashbacks show. Yeah. And I think that it's just so cool how well they managed to flesh all of this out because you don't have to wonder why she's like that. I mean, it's like Nick said, he's like, you know, your parents plagiarized your childhood and she walks through and he's like, Oh, I didn't know you played volleyball. And she's like, I got cut. And Amazing Amy was the was the the captain. For those of you who didn't follow for whatever reason, her parents were authors of these children's novels that followed this girl called Amazing Amy. And basically, her parents made Amazing Amy a better version of their daughter. Mm-hmm. And it evidently screwed her up quite a bit. That they, I guess, through these books held her to this standard and she got in her head that that's how life was. Mm-hmm. That everything worked out for you. That everything was perfect. And so she made her life that way. So she made her life that way. And it's it's interesting because their lives do go pretty well until they don't. And then they really don't. And she's unable to accept that. Because mm-hmm. she's a psychopath. Yeah. I'd say more sociopath, but... I don't really know the difference. Her brain is Serial messed up. Serial killer expert here. I'd probably say sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was, there's a few quotes that I wrote down, specifically during um, her monologue. Um, and one that stood out to me that, uh, re- that applies to this is she says, he actually expected me to love him unconditionally. <laughs> and I'm like, that's such a detached idea. Mm-hmm. like because yes like you guys were married of course he expected you to love him unconditionally like that's that's what it means to be yeah. married to somebody you know what i mean but she's like she's insulted that he would expect her to love him unconditionally <laughs> because she's crazy yes oh hey actually i wrote down here that she was arrogant and sociopathic so there you go there we go got the right term got it right um, let's talk about Amy's character a little bit, because I wrote down here that she was a fascinating character. That's the exact wording of my note. What do you, uh, what do you, Sid, what do you like about Amy's character or dislike? What are your thoughts on her? Um, I think she's great. I mean, well, she's not a great person, but as a character, she's, she's fascinating. Um, she really portrays the the role that she's playing you you really believe that she's the victimized wife in the beginning 
and you believe that she's the love struck girl and you also believe that she's the crazy sociopathic killer and it just it seems like she really believes it too which makes her a much more believable character um and she really ran with looking homely and she made it still look good though which was annoying um yeah I don't know I just think she's just a very fascinating character and as soon as I'm a therapist I would love to dive into that (laughs) Becca we know you were a big fan of Amy's character yes big big fan um man I don't even know I think one thing that I can really appreciate about her character is that she has so much control over herself like I don't think any other person ever could have that kind of control like she makes herself be exactly what she wants to be and there's that scene where she's in the bathroom um with the hammer and she's like sitting there like getting ready to just like with that scene. hit herself so in the face yeah and it's just like everybody else is cringing like there's no way any of us could hit ourselves in the face with a hammer just to make it look like we were beaten mm-hmm. but like she's just so calm and collected while she's doing it and she's like this is just what i need to do and i think that's just how her character has always been and always will be in this story like she has so much control and honestly i think she just like gets off on being manipulative and perfect and like just destroying people's lives and isn't that the mark of a psychopath though is the like the they enjoy being sadistic like that like they get off on it yeah isn't that the difference it's like a sociopath just lacks emotion right yeah i'm not entirely sure what constitutes a psychopath but let us know in the comments below yeah i'd probably (laughs) say she's both she's probably more sociopathic but she's got a little sprinkling of psychopath in there yeah like i just think she knows exactly what she's doing the entire time and like loves it because she can do it she has this like control and this power over people and she just uses it and abuses it and especially in the last like 10 or 15 minutes <gasps> like we could probably have a whole episode on just the last 10 or 15 i don't know we could talk a lot about that but a like, whole episode on ben affleck's dong because <laughs> you see that <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that was just like almost an accident with the camera. Like, oh, went a little oh, too no. low. Yeah, right? <laughs> but hey, at least we know he's committed to the role, right? Yeah, yeah. There that was you his go. first full frontal. There we wow. Go. Hmm. Good to know. Anyway. But yeah, like. <laughs> Back to sociopaths. <laughs> just the way that she manipulates him when she comes home. Like, you'd think. I, I think in his mind, he's like boom she's here obviously i didn't kill her now i can get her out of my life forever but it's the opposite it's like oh you know like i had these two options almost like i was a murderer and i could have been put to death or i have to spend the rest of my life with this crazy manipulative woman i want to punch her in her gosh darn face so did he (laughs) that moment that moment where uh they first walk in the door and she has just like outside pretended to faint into his arms and all this stuff. And then they get in the door and he's like, you need to tell me what happened. She's like, take your clothes off. And then she goes bouncing up the stairs. 
just kind of the gate to her walk right there. Like she she does. She just like bounces up the stairs like everything is fine. I'm like, I I want to throw a pipe at you. Like, <laughs> well, and also in that scene, like I think the only thing that I actually believe that was like honest and true coming out of her mouth was when she was like, "You did exactly what I wanted." Like when Nick was. Um, like on TV and was like, hey, you need to come back or whatever. She's like, that's the man I fell in love with. That's who I want to be with. Like someone else who can be fake and perfect and exactly what I want so that we can make a perfect relationship that's not real. Correct. Like that was the only moment that she was actually honest, I think, in the whole movie. The other uh, one of the other quotes that I wrote down that she says is during her monologue is she's talking about how to plan the perfect murder. And she's like, but because you're you, that's not good enough or something along those lines. I just wrote down <laughs> because you're you. And I'm like, who says that to themselves? Yeah. Um, so this leads me to um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, which was uh, your favorite scenes and or moments from the movie. Like what, what really sticks out to you is, I guess, impressive sequences or scenes or moments. I'll start with mine and you guys can think about okay, it because okay. mine connects to this. And mine is when, um, my favorite character in the movie, um, <laughs> what's her name? I just lost it. Greta. Or the Greta. When Greta shows up with her boyfriend and just robs her. <laughs> and they're like, where's the money? And they're tearing through her, her apartment and everything like that. Because I'm like, I'm like, you thought you were so hard. I'm like, you hit yourself in the face with a freaking hammer. And then you meet people who are, actually hard and she just gets shut down and so this she has convinced herself that nick has ruined her life has taken everything from her has taken her dignity from her she even says that that he stole her her dignity right Mm -hmm. and then she has this she puts herself in this situation with these people and they actually take everything from her they actually steal her dignity they actually humiliate her and she's never experienced that and before. it's just such a satisfying moment because mm-hmm. like you've just grown to hate her right yeah and i love she has a little stack of change that like she has it on top of the payphone when she's calling desi and then she gets to the casino and she's just got this little stack of change in front of her and you're like that's literally all you have left like you had this whole thing planned out and you thought you were so smooth and you got bested by this chick at a trailer park. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's one of my favorite sequences is when they rob her just because of the satisfaction in that moment of like, no, this is what it's actually like to be kicked when you're down. Mm-hmm. Like you, her life had been a book always, literally her parents made books about her life, right? So she felt the need to have this drama of a novel constantly and she couldn't have a good, happy marriage. She wouldn't allow herself to. She had to, I mean, obviously Nick was not a great husband, but she had to make it more dramatic than it was and crazy and he stole my dignity from me and, you know, and she talks about how like, you know, he, you know, I'm, I'm there for sex when he wants it, but that's all that matters and that's all that I am to him and blah, blah, blah. She had to like tear herself down and then when she's actually put into a really terrible situation, she just doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, she picks herself back up and gets Desi and that's a whole other thing. But like, I don't know. That's just a really satisfying moment for me. Mm-hmm. Do you know your favorite scene? 
Um, I don't know. The first one that came to mind is a really terrible scene, and I feel like it shouldn't be my favorite scene. But, like, I, I don't know. It just lets you more into the mind of Amy Dunn, and I guess that's what, like, my whole hype has been about this whole podcast, so I guess I'll go with it. But it's when she's with Desi in the lake house, and she's been there for a while, and she decides to kill him and go back to Nick and just the way that she does it I mean it's not even that scene specifically but like the day before or whatever Forget. that was my favorite scene oh Becca well I don't know you what can to both tell you talk about all it. right fine go ahead but just like I don't know the way that she thinks about everything and the way that the cameras are all around the lake house and like uses those cameras to her advantage to show that like he's trapping her and keeping her there and like and then just like all the all the next scenes of just her like like planning this murder and making it happen it's just so terrible but it just like lets you into her mind a little bit and it's just like wow this woman thinks of literally everything and she's insane and disgusting yeah that wine bottle Oh, Ugh. Ugh. Can't drink that. Oh, thank you. Nope. <laughs> Yikes. Um, yeah, so that was my favorite scene, too. Um, one thing that I really like about her character is almost what they don't show is they don't... Like, they show it a few times throughout the movie, but they don't really show her kind of formulating her plan in her mind. It's just, like, they cut to her doing it, and she's so purposeful, and she knows exactly what she's doing, and I think that's why this scene is so great for me is... As soon as he leaves, she's tying her leg up, she's making it look like she's bleeding, she's crawling at the window, and she's sobbing. Like, it's just so fast, and she knows exactly what she's doing. And, yeah, when she's getting ready, and she's making it look like she's been tied up, and... But then she's also flipping it around to all of a sudden, she needs to be, like, the kind of sexy housewife for Desi, and... um, It's just, it's such a great testament to her character, and how just how easily she can switch it back and forth and she knows exactly what she's doing and it's it's just so good and she's just so calm the entire time and like any normal person you know she has so many times to stop and think about what she's actually doing Mm -hmm. and thinking maybe i shouldn't do this but she does it anyway because she's a psychopath or sociopath or both probably both she's crazy yeah um so that's actually not not that scene exactly, but for the same reason, um, that whole sequence with Desi is another one of my favorite things because, again, she, I mean, Nick was unfaithful and so remove the infidelity from this. At worst, he was neglectful, right? Like mm-hmm. he didn't, he didn't pay attention to her properly, but like he wasn't abusive or sadistic yeah. or anything like that, right? But she invented this persona of how awful he was of him being controlling and you know demanding that she look a certain way she mentioned like and i stayed a size two for him like all that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and the irony is is that she runs away to desi who demands other things who is all of the things that she made nick up to be Mm -hmm. so again she the the story has a really interesting way of actually putting her in the situations that she invents and and pretends that she was in Mm -hmm. right so again she pretends that 
everything was taken from her and it's so dramatic and then she actually gets everything taken from her and she pretends that she's with this husband who is so overbearing and um tries to define who she is right and then you end up with desi who like the first thing he does is he goes and buys her hair dye like, and a bunch of clothes give me a break you know what i mean like you want to talk about trying to control somebody and define them like that's exactly what he does so the story like i said has a really a really awesome way of her pretending to be in certain situations and then kind of karma coming around and actually putting her in those situations mm-hmm. and it's horrible mm-hmm. and then she eventually just kills desi which is just oh my gosh so hard to watch that's like, such a great scene though it's pretty yeah crazy. but like oh my gosh the way she just like takes the box cutter and all of a sudden there's just blood everywhere and the way that like oh. it's 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 one of those things that i've seen after watching it multiple times she it's almost like she loves it yeah like when she's getting just like spurted covered in blood yep. like she just is into it mm-hmm. like, you're really just messed up real bad that's what i said she just gets off on manipulating people and destroying their lives Look, she's just awful and it's it's weird because they have this or she specifically has this addiction to like i said having novel style drama in her life constantly but the irony of the whole thing is is that if both her and nick had just done what they pretended to do right like if you if you go with the idea i i don't subscribe to the idea that nick was pretending at all i think that that's just how romance goes is at the beginning you're always trying to impress them yeah and then later on the flaws start to come out right yeah that doesn't excuse infidelity because that's never okay but my point being that i don't think that he ever tried to maliciously deceive her mm-hmm. i think his flaws just came out as time went on which is what happens in a relationship yes. right but if she had just like if they had both just done what they pretended to do they would have had a happy marriage yeah but she's so addicted to this drama that like and like i said she gets off on manipulating people and controlling situations yeah it's true and what does she say at the end he's like we as you say like we manipulated each other and used each other blah blah blah. she's like honey that's marriage (laughs) like how do you end up with that worldview i don't know messed up Um, what else I also wanted to do you guys have anything else you want to say on that Mm, nope I don't think so on her character see my thing is this is she did do a fantastic job but I gotta say I think this is like the role that Ben Affleck was born to play yeah I I'm like looking through his IMDB and I don't I have never seen uh, a movie that i felt he had a better performance than this mm-hmm. i would agree with that he just which i don't like ben affleck but i was very surprised by him in this one yeah i don't think he's a very good actor mm-hmm. sorry mm-hmm. it just worked well in this one which is very evident in batman versus superman so i don't think a whole he lot did okay in that as a whole mm-hmm. the movie whatever <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking through his uh, his IMDb, and like, I don't know, man. 
Pearl Harbor? What are we? I mean, what are we even going to compare to this? You know what I mean? I think the only thing that would even come close to comparing would be Argo, but this just blows Argo out of the water in every way. So, and then there's Tyler Perry. Oh my gosh, he's so good in who, this. Who like? Are you serious, Medea? <laughs> then he does this. Oh, man, it's crazy. Um, also, I found out that this was happening. Um, um, Adam McKay, who did the big short, is doing a biopic on Dick Cheney, where Christian Bale is going to play Dick Cheney, Hmm. and um, Sam Rockwell is playing George (gasps) W. Bush. I'm into it. (laughs) And Tyler Perry is playing Colton Powell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So that's supposed to come out this year, and I'm very very into the idea of that his tyler perry's imdb is just like three quarters medea (laughs) (laughs) seriously (laughs) medea's family reunion medea's class reunion medea's family reunion again medea goes to jail Uh, medea's big happy family oh my god medea's witness protection medea gets a job Medea's ni- Medea's neighbors from hell. <laughs> Boo, Medea Halloween. Tyler Perry's Medea on the run. Boo too, Medea's Halloween. <laughs> Tyler Perry's a Medea family funeral. <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe it's time to lay that character to rest. Well, they did in Medea's family funeral. Well, you wouldn't know that. It doesn't come out till next year. Oh. Stay tuned. Yeah, Medea plans a funeral. It is not Medea's funeral. Mm. Yeah. Um, so those were most of the things that I wanted to mention, at least from my notes. What did I miss? Um, one thing I loved is the contrast bes- between the opening and the closing shot. I was just mm. thinking about that. I think it's so good because, like, in the beginning, you know, it's um, Rosamund uh, Pike. She's got her head on Ben Affleck's chest and... You know, he's, like, stroking her hair, and she, like, looks up, and she looks up all lovingly, and, like, she kind of, you know, moves her head up slowly, and it's, um, you know, it's kind of something that you would expect to see in, like, a loving marriage. And then the ending shot, same thing, he's playing with her hair, and she looks up so suddenly, and there's just, like, there just looks like so much resentment and hate in her eyes, and it's just, it's just so interesting, like, you know, maybe the first one is kind of her imagining of what their life should be in this fantastical romance and then the ending is what it actually is well isn't it just the exact same scene i thought it was the same shot yeah. really i thought it was different I don't and know. i think the reason why it's maybe different is because when we first start out we're thinking oh a love story and then you realize like oh that look in her eyes that's mm-hmm. not love like <laughs> His monologue at the beginning where he's like, I want to crack your pretty skull and watch your yeah. brains unfurl. And, like, and then by the end of it, you're like, oh, I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. Yep, me too. Right. Maybe I'll just have to watch them side by side and figure out if it's I'm the same pretty sure they're exactly That's got to be in the trivia. If, honestly, if it is the same shot, then it's it's so effective. Probably better. <laughs> yeah. Like, because she even like looks up the same way and like, I don't know, something about her face like her eyes are just kind of dead mm-hmm. but like very like present and mm-hmm. she just like it's like i am going to make your life terrible if you do anything <laughs> wrong to me but you don't realize that till the end 
Okay, hang on. Keep talking for a second. Okay. I'm investigating. That's actually the other thing that I had on my list that I was going to say. But I just think the way that they, like, frame the movie and, like, from from the opening scene to the ending scene, how it's just, like, actually just the same thing. Mm-hmm. He's just, like, I'm stuck. Like, mm-hmm. that's basically the movie. It's mm-hmm. just, like, I'm stuck with a maniac. And there's nothing that no one can, that anybody can do about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. This is from an article on Screen Rant, which I don't know if that's a good website. It's okay. Movies with hidden details in first and final scenes. This is what it says. All credit to Screen Rant for this. I didn't write this. David Fincher had an incredible challenge adapting the novel Gone Girl to film, but the opening shot is a hard one to forget. Showing what should be a loving scene between husband and wife, star Rosamund Pike's sudden stare into the camera and Ben Affleck's narration put audiences on edge, warning them that the story about to unfold is anything but simple. Kidnapping, lies, and murder all led to the estranged couple back. All led the estranged couple back to each other, forced to decide just how willing they were to keep lying for the sake of a marriage and public perception. Having the couple end up right back where they started from may have been a hard pill for viewers to swallow. But Fincher makes the message loud and clear, ending the movie with the exact same shot he opened on. Yes. All right. It looks like the lighting is a little bit different. Mm. But well, I was mistaken, but I will happily. Take that. But you know, I'm looking at him, and I do think it's she's wearing something different. It is different. Look, you can see him side by side. She's got a, a blue tank top here and a black one here. I thought it was blue in both. No, you can see it right here. Look. Black, blue. Hmm. And her hair's a little her hair is colored differently. Hmm. You can see the streaks of the dark hair and then I was right. Sid was right. Well done. Congratulations. Still, I think it's great. Yes. Either way it would have been fantastic. Yeah. So there we go. Anything else you guys wanted to bring up? Um, I think that's all I had. All right. Let's get into some final thoughts and ratings out of 10. Becca. Oh, boy. I have to think about this rating. You're at my right hand. You always go first. It's true. Um, final thoughts. This is a fantastic movie. I don't know if I would recommend it to everybody, but it's just really good and just like such a ride and like seriously from the beginning to the end i was just like so entertained and so engaged like i didn't even hear the music like i just wanted to watch it and be involved in the movie did a great job of that so i think i would give this movie 8.9 you are such a you're so stingy with your ratings i am because i just want like it's a fantastic movie but I can't, I don't know if I could give it a 10 or I don't know. No, I'm not saying that you have to give it a 10, but what, what is a 10 for you? What's an example of a 10? I have no idea. I don't think I've seen a 10. Are you serious? You've seen Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might have to like someday re-rate all of these movies, but I just feel like I can't no, you're fine. rate anything a 10 because I would have to just know it when I see it and I haven't seen it yet. Mm, it's like that one congressman right what does that remember that yeah whatever (laughs) there was this uh several years ago they were congress was trying to legislate something with pornography and somebody asked a sitting senator they're like well how would you describe pornography and he's like i don't know but i know it when i see it (laughs) (laughs) no not like that but (laughs) yes like that (laughs) okay 
Sid. Um, so this was just a wild ride, um, and I loved almost every second of it. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. Just interesting storytelling. Um, just really kind of embracing the craziness of it. Um, Before you rate it, you said that there were things about it that you didn't like. Yeah, there were. Most of it, it's just kind of, I feel like it's kind of something transferring from book to movie. I don't love narration in movies, which I I mean, I understand it's hard because you're reading along to her diary through half of it. Um, and then, yeah, one of them was the weird dialogue in the... Um, the flashbacks and another thing is more just the continuity issue is um ben affleck's physique changes throughout the movie because he's training for batman versus superman which was just small stuff that kind of bothered me but nothing that would really dampen my score of it um and my score would probably be 9.4 that's very high i liked it so i love this movie i think it's great i think the score is one of my favorite things about it. So it makes me a little sad that you guys didn't notice the score. Because I thought it was one of the more powerful parts of this movie. Like I said, I think Ben Affleck was born to play this role. Um, If you can get him... Apparently, if you can get him with a good director, and he's not a good director. I don't think that I've ever seen a Ben Affleck-directed film that I've been, like, super in love with. Wait, did he do... He did Gone Baby Gone. Did he? Yeah. Another one that stars an Affleck where the it's about someone who disappears and the main picture is he did them with their back gone. to it to you and a landscape in the background which i thought was interesting i liked the town i never saw that one but i didn't think it, it didn't like blow me away mm-hmm. mostly because jeremy renner's so good in that movie um so yeah if you can get ben affleck with a good director apparently he can pull it out uh, Rosamund Pike is obviously amazing. Literally pull it out. Hey. <laughs> um, Tyler Perry kills it. Like, it's just, there's so many good things going for this movie. Um, I'd give it a straight nine. All right. Nine out of ten. All righty. Which gives us an aggregate of, what, like, 9.1? Because yeah. you were 9.4, Becca, you were 8.9. I'm 9, like 9.1-ish. It is a 9-1 on the Weston scale. It's a darn good score. It's a very good score. <laughs> um, and that's Gone Girl. So good. As always, um, we do accept listener suggestions. So if you guys have a movie that you think that we should watch, throw it in the comments um, on our Facebook page or our Instagram page. Again, you can find us on Facebook at We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. Or on Instagram at movies we watch. Yes. So let us know there if you have any uh, movies that you want us to watch. Uh, we are going to talk about other stuff, but for those of you who want to know immediately, next week we will be watching the movie that actually won Best Picture this year, and one that I have been trying to get Becca to watch forever, which is Birdman. Oh yeah. We're going to be watching that next week, so I'm stoked for that. I. We'll talk about it. I love. Bird. I just want to. I just want to start talking about Birdman now. Um, so that's gonna be next week. On to other topics. What's up? What are we watching? Um. What did I watched eighth grade this past week? 
Where did you have to go to see it? I had to drive all the way to Salt Lake, which I'm really mad because now it's playing in Provo. And uh, I'm very annoyed. Is it going to have a wide release or am I going to have to drive to see it? Do you know? Mm, you'll probably have to drive because I honestly didn't think it was going to come to Provo. But it is so good. It, is, it was worth the drive. I it's, really want to see it. It's really good. It. Um, it's pretty much just about a really uh, introverted, kind of awkward girl through her last week of eighth grade trying to navigate life. And it's just, it's as someone who is very, who still is introverted, but very much so when I was that age, this is the perfect movie I needed at that age. And I just think it's so good. Bo Burnham did a great job. I loved it. Right. I'm I'm very into the idea of YouTubers becoming movie directors. So yeah, it feels a lot more realistic than like most like junior high high school movies, which made it so much better. Okay, we might have to go to Jordan Commons. It's fine. It's not too far it's away. Not too far. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, what did we watch, Becca? I want to talk about Stalker, but we watched another one. Did we watch another one? We watched another movie. I honestly can't remember. What did we watch? Because you're right. We totally watched oh, another movie. Oh, we watched It Follows. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I have some thoughts about that one. Have you seen it? Yeah. It was a while ago. What are your thoughts? I didn't like it. Okay, but this was when it first came out, and I was probably like 18, and okay. I was like, I only like movies that are fun. <laughs> so I would probably like it more now. Becca also didn't like it. Yeah. So. I I mean, obviously, not very memorable. <laughs> I totally forgot about it. Well, here's the thing. Our <laughs> scale got skewed because we watched Stalker. That's fair. And you want to talk about memorable movies. <laughs> um, so I, the more that I think about it, I loved It Follows. I liked aspects of it, but I don't know if I loved it as a whole. I loved the campy 80s vibe that it had yes. to it. Yeah, that's good. I loved that they didn't give the monster any backstory. Mm-hmm. The idea that it was just this thing that supposedly has been around forever, right? Just getting transferred from person yeah. to person. And really all we have to go on is what the guy who gives it to the main girl tells us, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for those of you who don't know, it follows. It is about a sexually transmitted demon. <laughs> basically it um and it 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 follows you so like it will walk in a straight line towards you at a walking pace forever and if it catches you it kills you and then if it kills you it goes to the person next up in line right so but like we the only background we have on it the only idea that we have on it is what this kid tells us what he's supposedly surmised because he said that he just got it from somebody in a one-night stand so he's figured these rules out and Um, the monster can transform into whatever it wants. It can look however it wants, but you can only see it if it's after you or if you're somewhere in the line. And I love that they don't give any more explanation than that. I love that it's ambiguous, but I don't think there's going to be a sequel. No. Um, see, and those are some of the things I didn't like. Like I did like the idea of the monster, which is an awesome idea, whatever, just that it like just walks and is constantly walking. It's pretty terrifying. Like that's so scary. It's so scary. And like the cinematography was Really cinematography was beautiful. brilliant like it was really cool some of the shots they got but i don't know i just didn't like the story <laughs> like 
It's, well, the it's issue a is, is story. there isn't much of a story. Exactly. It's kind of just them trying to get away from it. Like I don't. It just. I just didn't really want to watch a movie about st demons. <laughs> hey. So that's my yeah. Um, yeah, and I loved. It's one of those horror movies that just kind of sticks with you at the end, and I love that. Didn't stick with me. I forgot all about it. <laughs> Makes you feel... Well, that's what I'm saying. Our skew of memorability was skewed. That's true. Because we watched Stalker. Um, I also watched Mamma Mia. Oh. Here we go again. The second How one. How was it? I loved it. <laughs> was it worth it the was $5 so movie pass surcharge? I don't know that it was really worth that. <laughs> but it was definitely super cheesy. But like just so sweet and made me cry. I definitely cried in it. Mostly just because, I don't know, it was sweet <laughs> and sentimental to me. So, anyway. Speaking of, uh, rest in peace. Let's play some taps for Movie Pass. Mm, oh, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. It's so sad. It's too. It's not completely dead yet, is it? No. But we canceled. I still have mine. It's just a, such a bummer. I mean, it was bound to happen, but. They just were not smart about it. Man, we when your business model is give that. away free money, like yeah, <laughs> doesn't That's hold so up. Smart. So sad. So let's talk about stuff that makes us happy. Stuff that makes me happy is watching Stalker, a Russian movie that's two hours and forty minutes. Two hours and forty-seven. You told me it was two hours and forty minutes. Is really <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. That seven minutes no. really a big difference for you? Well, because I told him, because Blade Runner is two hours and 45 minutes, so I told him 2.40 is my limit. Oh. A minute over, I won't do it. Oh, man. <laughs> he um, lied to me. <laughs> and they utilize every minute of it. What's that even about? Like, I've seen parts from it, but I have no idea what it's about. It's like Annihilation, but Russian. Oh, boy, I can't even. Actually, Annihilation is like Stalker, really. Yeah. So watching Stalker, I talked to Becca about this, and we'll see if I actually do it. I haven't talked to Sid about this, so this is uh, live for her. It kind of made me want to do almost like a sideshow to the podcast, where like I can just nerd out over movies that I would never make you guys watch for the podcast. <laughs> Depends on the movie. Because, well, just like weird foreign films and stuff like that. Um, I specifically love like Soviet cinema. Um, but this is, so it's a two hour and 47 minute long movie about, um, there's this zone and it's not explained where it came from or what it is or anything like that. Um, but inside of the zone, there's a room that will grant you whatever you want. So basically you go there and you can get whatever you want. Mm -hmm. No conditions, right? And a stalker. So the government has quarantined off this zone because people go in and go missing and it's dangerous and all this kind of stuff, similar mm -hmm. to Annihilation, right? So a stalker is somebody who leads people through the zone and takes them to the room okay. and then gets them back out again. So it's the story of the stalker taking these two men into the zone, into the room. And weird stuff happens. And like I said, I don't want to talk about it too much because I would love to talk about it, take more time to talk about it because it is incredible it's difficult to watch um it's directed by tarkovsky who has a very unique style um i read this uh the average length of a shot in that movie is just under 90 seconds gosh 
So, like, if you think about, like, next time you watch a movie, people out there pay attention to every time the camera changes. If it's, like, shot, reverse shot, so where, like, you're following a conversation and it just flips between their two uh, faces or anytime an angle changes, anytime there's a cut, pay attention. And it's usually every roughly 10 to 15 seconds. This, the average length of a shot in this movie is 90 seconds. And there are plenty that are much longer than that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of Tarkovsky's style, right? Is these long tracking shots. But again, it's a movie. You want to talk about a memorable movie though. It's a movie. It's, it's all about the atmosphere. It's all about the vibe that you get from it. And then of course there's a lot of moral and religious and, um, kind of ideological underpinnings and questions and everything to it. So Becca fell asleep. No, I didn't. I, it, I you was blinked too long. Really, Sorry. Really hard. <laughs> That's what she said to me. Is, it was towards the end. She's like, I blinked too long. Did I miss something? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually what happened. I kept my eyes closed for a little bit too long and then something changed and I was like, what just happened? <laughs> oh, I think it was when it changed colors. That's yeah, when it changed to color at the end. Yeah. Because the one thing that was kind of hard for me about this movie, but now looking back, I think is like really cool about it is that like half of it is in like sepia, like the first half, mm-hmm. almost not even, not the first half, but like the first, first 30, 30 minutes, minutes yeah. is sepia. And I was like, I don't think I can watch this movie and really get into it if it's just sepia. And then all of a sudden it turns to color, which is amazing. Color is brilliant. And like, you don't even like realize it turns to, I mean, you do, but it's just like all of a sudden like, oh, it's color. And then it's amazing color for almost the rest of the movie. But I appreciated a lot of things about this movie. And I think I probably will have to see it again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But... Even though it was in Russian, I really enjoyed it. Like, I didn't mind reading the subtitles. And I felt like I got pretty engaged in the movie. It was probably a bad night to watch it because I hadn't had much sleep the night before. So I was very tired. And it's really hard to stay concentrated on subtitles only. Well, and it's a very long, very slow, very quiet movie. Yeah, like they don't talk a lot, really. There's no dialogue for the first nine minutes. Yeah, it's so slow. And there's not a lot of music. Yeah. Um, It's kind of put me on a mission to just watch all of Tarkovsky's stuff. Because I had seen um, most of Andre Rublev before, which is. And it was good. I really enjoyed it. I think I watched it in the wrong setting, though. We watched it. um, We watched it when I was in Russia for like the last two or three days of a class. They like took the last few days to watch most of this movie it's like that was the wrong setting to watch it in because it's like the last few days of a class you just want to get out of there um and it was also for a class not for fun for a class yeah and they refused to let us watch it with subtitles and my russian is not quite good enough to be able to watch a movie like that without subtitles so um but i enjoyed a lot of aspects of it and so but then after seeing this um, I got the Criterion release of Stalker, and they did, like, a remaster of it. I actually have now pre-ordered the Criterion release of Andre Rublev, which comes out at the end of September, because I really want to rewatch it. Um, and they've, again, done a remaster there. And I also just ordered the Criterion release of Solaris. Oh, did you? I did. Spending all our money? 
Yep. <laughs> so um, when she says that I used to order movies without having seen them, <laughs> he still but does. I don't anymore. I definitely still do. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So if you guys, if anybody out there wants to hear me blabber on about Soviet films or art house films that might not fit the, uh, I guess the vibe of this podcast, let me know because I'd be more than happy to talk people's ears off about why these tracking shots are incredible. You could just even have your own episode, just like a whole episode where you just talk, just you. I just talk about Tarkovsky. Yep. Just for the people who want to listen to it. That'd be great. If there's anybody out there who wants to listen to it. Nobody wants to listen to it, (laughs) but I want to talk about it. So, so yeah, Stalker loved it. Amazing. It's, it's another one. And so it's, it's tough to say that it follows as a movie that sticks with you because it was just instantly erased in our memories because we watched Stalker like the day after. Yeah. (laughs) Um, oh my gosh. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Go out there and broaden your horizons. Everybody watch some foreign films, watch some old films, watch things that you wouldn't normally watch. It's true. You might be surprised. You might like it. Maybe it'll be one of your favorites someday. Might be. That's what happened to me. What happened to you? I watched uh, Life is Beautiful. That's mm. one of my favorites. That's and a great movie. I so love good. that movie. Also, Mustang. I watched I that. I know that one. It was uh, nominated for Best Foreign Film a few years ago. And it's... Uh, is, it is, is it Istanbul? Um, and it's just about these girls who are pretty much stuck inside their house until they're married off. It was hmm. great. Really good. It's on Netflix, so I highly recommend that one. Um, another one, if you're looking for easy-ish to get into foreign films, which I don't know if anybody is, um, The Lives of Others actually won Best Foreign Film. Um, it's about an artist in uh, during uh, so during the Cold War when Berlin is split down the middle. He's living in East Berlin, and he gets kind of contracted to... Uh, be a propaganda artist for the communist party and it's his moral dilemma and fallout associated with that it's fantastic it's freaking brilliant um and then another one in that similar vein is goodbye lenin which also surrounds kind of well that one specifically surrounds the fall of the berlin wall and the reunification of berlin and all that kind of stuff but that one has um what's his name daniel something he plays the bad guy in civil war in Captain America Civil War. Oh, uh, I can only think of his character name from that. Uh, I don't remember. Um, But he's in that one. So two that I would recommend if you're looking to get, they're pretty accessible because European cinema in general tends to be not as accessible. They have a lot more patience than we do. The movies are longer and slower. But those two, The Lives of Others and Goodbye Lenin, both uh, German films, fantastic. So go check those out. That's my rant on foreign films for the day. <laughs> Next week we'll have our lesson on the schools of Polish animation. <laughs> oh yeah? I'm sure it's great. It's really fantastic. <laughs> Guys, this is what I have to deal with every day. <laughs> I, fine, I won't talk about you Polish animation. You could have animation. a boring husband who cheats on you. That's true. I uh. could be Nick Dunn. Think about that. But I could be Amy Dunn. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but really, no, if you want to look up some awesome animation, go look up um, some Polish animation. There's some fantastic animators back back during the Cold War. All right. In Poland. 
more you know. The yeah. more you know. Thank you to um, my Eastern European cinema classes for opening my eyes to these things. Yes. All right, everybody. Um, anything else we want to talk about? I don't think so. I think I'm all tapped out. All right. Yeah. Did we miss any trivia? Did we miss... Um, the only piece of trivia that I think is worth mentioning is that Rosamund Pike practiced her sex scene with Neil Patrick Harris with the Dora the Explorer doll. What? And there you go. <laughs> she, she like practiced it with a doll. She did it with Dora the Explorer? I guess so. Well, I don't Yikes. She killed Dora the Explorer. Oh my gosh. How many dolls did she go through? I mean, you can only <laughs> cut the throat so many times. <laughs> So that's my closing remarks on this week's show. All right. That's great. All right. Everybody, we love you. We love you. We thank you for for listening. listening. And we'll see you next week for Birdman. Yes. All right. Later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.